We all are born with a certain package. We are who we are. Where we were born, who we were born as, how we were raised. We're kind of stuck inside that person. And the purpose of civilization and growth is to be able to reach out and empathize a little bit with other people. And for me, the movies are like a machine that generates empathy. It lets you understand a little bit more about different hopes, aspirations, dreams, and fears. It helps us to identify with the people who are sharing this journey with us. Welcome to the Geek Therapy Podcast. I'm your host, Josue Cardona, and the voice that you just heard was Roger Ebert. That's from a speaking engagement he had in 2005. And it's also the introduction, the very first scene in a documentary about his life called Life Itself. I really liked what he talked about, how movies generate empathy and how movies are really a story or the story of us, of people, of human beings, of people living their lives, how they are a reflection of the world around us. And hearing him say that really made something clear to me. I wanted to do an episode about stories in general. And the way he summed it up in, in, in that part that I played at the beginning is exactly what I want to talk about today. So we'll talk a little bit about stories in general, and we'll talk about uh, empathy, especially, and how this can sometimes be healing. The title of this episode is Stories Can Be Healing. That um, title is a play on a conversation that I had with Janina Scarlett, who's been on the show before. She came up with an idea to do a panel on TV shows. She came up with this. Uh, I told her, well, what is it? What exactly is it that you want to do um, with this panel? What's the goal? And she told me that, that she wanted to convey the idea that TV can be healing. And we did a whole presentation on that. And I'll actually have an interview later in the show uh, with her about that panel presentation. But I want to talk more general, not just TV shows, not just movies like Roger Ebert mentioned, but stories in general. What is it about stories that can be healing, that can have this profound effect on us? And what do we mean by can be healing? Like, What, what exactly are they healing? What are we talking about? So first, let's talk about empathy. Empathy is defined by different people in different ways, but I think a safe bet is to just call it the ability to understand and share the feelings of another person. So when you empathize with someone, you you understand how they feel and you can feel what they are feeling. When Roger Ebert says that movies generate empathy or that they are machines that generate empathy, um, he's saying that the world around us is reflected in these movies. It's people making movies about people's lives. And even if it's science fiction or fantasy or set in the future, set in the past, they are reflecting stories real stories, real emotions, things that many of us go through. That's why many times we can empathize better with characters on TV um, than we can with the people who are around us. And that is one of the most powerful things about stories and when we empathize with them. Because for a moment, you might feel like you're not alone. Even if the character on the screen is not real, even if it's not a true story, even if the entire story is fictional, you may feel that you're not alone. And that is huge. Um, if you've ever felt alone, if you've ever felt like you're the only person that feels a certain way, and to suddenly see that feeling, exactly how are you feeling, to be able to empathize with that, seeing someone on the screen who shares what you're feeling right now, it can be pretty powerful. I think there are many ways that stories 
can have a healing effect on us. And I believe this is the one that is most likely to do that. And that is when you watch something and all of a sudden you do not feel alone. You know, maybe you've been struggling with something. Maybe you've been feeling something and no one around you understands it. No one understand, uh, no one around you believes you. Or maybe you haven't told anyone because you don't think anybody will understand. And suddenly you, you're watching TV, you're watching a movie, or you're reading a book, and you see a character going through exactly what you're going through. And that feels really, really good because for the first time, you don't feel alone. So how does that work? Why is a fictional version of what you're going through make you feel like you're not alone? Well, uh, this week I was looking online and I found the website for the Gina Davis Institute on Gender Media. And this is an organization that works to advocate for gender equality in the media. So, you know, more female characters um, that are better represented, things like that. And there was a banner on the site that said, if she can see it, she can believe it. And that's exactly what's going on here. When you see on TV or in a movie or in a book that someone is feeling what you're feeling, all of a sudden you can possibly believe that other people feel this. Or if you think about it at different levels, somebody wrote that, right? And it's possible that the person who wrote that really felt that or felt that at some point, or maybe they knew somebody who felt that way. So it opens up all of these possibilities that, hey, maybe, just maybe, it's possible that you're not alone in this. It's possible that someone in the world could feel the same way you feel. And that makes a huge difference because feeling alone is one of the worst feelings that, that we can have. And just that possibility is very liberating. It's very freeing. It feels really, really good when you realize for the first time that you are not alone and what you're going through, possibly other people are going through as well or have gone through. And the great thing about fictional stories is that usually, not always, but usually, the characters who are going through a really tough time surpass that, right? It's not just seeing on the screen and believing that, hey, maybe somebody else might be feeling what I'm feeling. It's that they felt what you felt, they went through what you went through, and they overcame it. That's why we're talking about stories in general, because a story doesn't always have to be fictional. True stories are still stories, and any story can have that effect on us where all of a sudden we don't feel alone and we see a possible outcome. And the more outcomes we see, the more outcomes we can believe are possible. Maybe you never thought you would recover from an illness or an accident or a breakup and suddenly you can see different characters going through what you went through, surpassing it and getting better or living a full life afterwards or having a great life afterwards. Sometimes we cannot see that. And as a therapist, um, one of the things that I do is I try to help my clients see things from different perspectives. And many times we are so overwhelmed by the events that are happening in our lives. Sometimes we are so stressed that we don't see a way out. Sometimes there are opportunities and possibilities and different options, and we just don't see them because we're, we're essentially drowning in just this suck right? And just this this horrible experience or just years and years and years of just having bad experiences, not seeing a way out. And many times there are ways out. And the only way that really works is I can't just tell my clients, hey, try that. I should kind of try to walk them through that. 
So I'll ask them, what are your options? And if they don't see them, I'll start going gradually through possibilities. Did you ever consider this? Are there, is there anyone you can talk to about it here? Is there anything you can do there? And the same aha moments that clients come to in my office are the kind of aha moments that we get when we're watching something or reading a story or listening to the story of somebody. And suddenly we see, suddenly we think, wait a minute, I never thought of that. And maybe I could do that too, because we see ourselves in the people that are there. Now, I do want to say that stories can be healing. I think that's, that's really important. Um, stories aren't inherently just great for you. You know, just sit down, watch a movie. You're going to feel good. It's going to solve all your problems and you're good to go. That is absolutely not true. And at least I believe that that healing effect is only possible when you organically connect to the story. I may be able to recommend something to you, but there's no guarantee that that will actually connect for you. And there's also the opposite effect. You may actually see a story and or hear a story and it may actually be overwhelming or it may actually f- make you feel worse. I know of veterans who cannot watch war movies or play first-person shooters because they relive traumatic events. The same thing can happen with different types of events um, portrayed on screen or in a book. And sometimes we're just not equipped at that moment to deal with what's happening on screen or with that um, empathy that, that we talked about earlier. Uh, I can give you an example, a personal example. I remember one time I was going through a breakup and I saw Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. And in that movie, the main character um, you discover is trying to erase the memory of his girlfriend because it hurt too much to think about her. And I felt very similar at that time. And that movie kind of messed me up for a few days. I was not sleeping well. It made me think about a lot of stuff. And I, I wasn't really ready to see a guy uh, wanting to forget his girlfriend when I had just gone through a really bad breakup at the time. So I would say it can actually be dangerous at times to actually go out and seek that connection. Not always, but it, it can be. One of the reasons why uh, many therapists um, can burn out is because you do empathize with the people who are sitting in front of you. And sometimes our clients are going through things that are that are really, really hard to to understand and and to share those feelings. It can be overwhelming at times. So if it's hard for mental health professionals who are trained to deal with this and who do it on a regular basis, you can imagine how difficult it could be for some people who are not as resilient and they come across a really, really, really powerful connection. Not everybody knows what to do with that. But at the same time, um, sometimes these, these connections are powerful enough to kind of nudge us in the right direction. I think a big part of it is education. Right. It's like you, you, you're learning about yourself while observing the, the character on screen or while reading the story. And you're also learning possible outcomes and possible alternatives to what you've been doing so far. Now, in researching, um, this idea of how stories can be healing and using it actually as a tool, I'm always conflicted about this. It's something that I've discussed with my colleagues and I personally prefer it when someone comes to me and they say, hey, I was watching a movie, I was listening to a song, I was playing a game, and this idea came to me, or I felt this when that happened. And it becomes a conversation starter, it becomes a catalyst for change. When that happens organically, it's it's great. But there's also this idea of um, recommending something for someone to read. And 
uh, on my website for, for my practice, I actually do have this area for prescriptions, I call them. Um, I'm not a psychiatrist. I don't prescribe medication, but I do like this idea of kind of recommending a book or a game or a TED video, for example. And if I think it could help my client, I would recommend it. So uh, we can do the same thing with stories. So maybe recommending a book that has a character that is similar to them. Now, that doesn't always work. Sometimes the client will come back and say, listen, I don't know why you made me read that. I, I hated the book or I didn't connect with the characters at all. Sometimes they'll have the opposite effect. Sometimes they'll feel like, hey, that was, I understand why you wanted me to read that. And it could go either way. They could feel like, hey, you know, that really helped me. Or, you know what, I think I understand what you did there, but I see myself as different from that character and I wouldn't have done this or that. And then it really helps to kind of just as a conversation starter and then we can we can talk about the feelings that came up. So those cases aren't exactly what I would call, you know, healing stories for the client. But thanks to a listener, uh, Sherry from Australia, thank you very much. Um, she called my attention to a book called Rent Two Films and Let's Talk in the Morning, Using Popular Movies in Psychotherapy by John and Jan Hesley. I'd never heard of this book. It was published over 10 years ago. Um, I was kind of mad that I never heard of it because I was on my website. I had already included that idea of prescriptions, and, and I always thought that was a really cool idea, but uh, apparently it wasn't original. And... Um, when I was looking up that book, um, Brentu Films, uh, I found another one, or a couple other, by a man called Gary Solomon. And he wrote The Motion Picture Prescription and Real Therapy. Now, I want to talk about these two books because I think they are very, very interesting. Of the two, I believe that John and Jan Hesley's book is better, and I'll, I'll explain why, because Gary Solomon wrote these two books, again, The Real Therapy and The Motion Picture Prescription, as self-help books. So what he's done is that uh, very similar to, if you've listened to the episodes I've done with um, Patrick O'Connor on Comicspedia, where he catalogs different uh, different comic books by themes, this is essentially what these books are for movies. Exactly the same idea. So, for example, um, I just opened it up randomly and the movie Clockwork Orange comes up. And it says, Healing Themes, Taking a Look into the Future, Does Crime Really Pay, Dealing with Your Fear of Violence, Taking the Wrong Road in Life, and What Alcohol and Drugs Can Lead to. And then it has a synopsis of the book. And then a paragraph that he calls Cinema Therapy. So he presents these books as self-help books, that if you're going through any of those themes, that you can see these books, and then with his paragraph, you can kind of, you know, it'll help you get through some of the issues that you're going through. Now, I really don't like that idea of the self-help uh, movies because of some of the stuff that I said before. So in the book by the Hesleys, they they do not uh, advocate for using them as self-help. They see it as a really great tool to use as a part of therapy. So something that therapists can use complementary to therapy. So I'll read some quotes from, from the book. They say, We use films to facilitate self-understanding, to introduce options for action plans, and to seed future therapeutic interventions. We select films for both positive and negative associations. Some films dramatize possible solutions. Others show predictable outcomes if dysfunctional patterns remain unaltered. That's similar to what I was talking about before, that you don't know what, what reaction the client will have. 
They also write, We explain thoroughly why a certain film is assigned, and we give specific instructions for the viewing. If a film includes language or a scene that may be offensive, we discuss that before making the assignment. And I think that's really important if you're doing it for self-help. A person is just looking at this book. They don't know what they're going to get. I really like this idea of, let me explain to you exactly why I think that this might be beneficial to you. And here's the most important part, I think, um, from their introduction. They say, we are not suggesting that merely watching a film is sufficient to bring about desired change. The ability of an inspirational film to affect change is short-lived, much like a New Year's resolution. Though some counselors, he actually mentioned Solomon, and continue, have suggested that films are useful as self-help, our approach emphasizes the partnership of conventional therapy and film homework. So as a therapist and a teacher, I am really, really more inclined to follow the Hesley's model. Unfortunately, that book is over 10 years old, and lots of great movies have come out since then. And at least in my work, um, it's very, very important to kind of be up to date and be very current. And I know that what's in the minds of my clients is whatever's new. But the principles in the book are really, really great. It's very funny. There's uh, VHS tapes on the cover. It's a pretty old book. Um, but it was really great to find that that idea is out there. That, um, you know, I've talked before on the show about this idea of bibliotherapy. And sometimes that's as simple as just recommending a self-help book to someone. Um, you know, they want to go on a diet, you recommend a diet book, something like that. But it can go way, way beyond that, such as recommending that they play a video game or read a comic book or watch a movie, watch a TV show, etc. It's interesting to see how different people see this concept of stories as being potentially healing. I think that a lot of people understand that stories can be very educational, regardless of the medium. They can help us learn about different locations, about different people. They can help us learn about language. They can help us learn about science. Whether it's because what we see or read is accurate or because it's so wrong that we need to look it up online and find out what the truth is. I think, you know, people understand that different types of stories can be beneficial for different reasons. Now, sometimes a story just makes you feel really good, right? A comedy, uh, we know about the type of effects that laughing can have. Yeah, that, that, that's fantastic. And sometimes you just want to unwind. Sometimes you want a story to kind of disconnect from everything, right? Instead of, you know, we've been talking about deep connections. Sometimes you just want to, you know, see something mindless. So you're not thinking about work and maybe that's relaxing. But stories can have this kind of healing effect. They can make you feel something powerful. They can make you feel something very different that can actually cause a change in you, cause a change for the better. Uh, some of the themes that might come up are, again, feeling that you're not alone, being inspired to do something that you couldn't do before. Sometimes people are stuck and they see something or they read something and they're inspired to do something greater. One thing I was looking into this week was an organization called the Harry Potter Alliance. The guy in charge of that, uh, Andrew Blake, he, he said something that I really liked. He said, uh, Harry would fight in our world like he did in his own. So he started looking at social justice themes inside our real world and looking at them through the lens of what would Harry Potter do if he was in the real world. And he started an entire organization where he got together thousands of fans of Harry Potter and they started doing really good stuff in the real world based on what the fictional character would do. I thought that that was really great. While he was inspired to move tons of people, sometimes the inspiration we feel is really, really small. 
um, I have this memory from when I was in elementary school and there was a boy bullying a girl and I went over to him and I told him to stop it. I don't remember how I said this exactly, but I told him that he had to stop because I was a detective and I was gonna, and I was there to help her. I was a big Dick Tracy fan at that stage. I had a communicator watch back then and I wanted to be a detective. And to me, a detective was somebody who helped people out. I was inspired by these characters that I saw on TV to do what they did in the real world. But again, I think the most powerful stories are the ones that kind of really help us change or help us get through something that we were kind of struggling with. One of the most recent examples of that for me was an episode of Doctor Who, specifically when the 10th Doctor regenerates into the 11th Doctor. And for him, it's actually a really long process. He doesn't want to change. He doesn't want to um, become this other person. And up until this point in the show, uh, when they're going to change the actor from one to another, they go through, he goes through this transformation. They call it a regeneration. And during that time, I was having some health issues and there were a lot of things that I wanted to do, but I was feeling really reluctant to make that change. Um, I kind of, I wanted the change to be immediate. It's, you know, I wanted to immediately feel good. And at the time I was thinking that there was nothing I could do to immediately feel better. And what's different about the 10th Doctor's Regeneration is that once he realizes that it starts, he actually sees it as a process. And he realizes that he has time until he becomes this other, this other person. So he actually does a lot of things in between the moment that his regeneration starts and he actually becomes this other person. So I don't know why, but in that moment, that really just clicked for me. And I realized, wait a minute, there really is nothing that I can do um, to become healthier from one day to the next. It is a process. And I saw myself in the character. I connected two things that had nothing to do with one another. And to me, it made sense. And it really helped me move forward and accept that to be able to change it was a process. It wasn't something that was just going to immediately happen. And the last way that I want to talk about how stories can really, really be healing is how they not only about not only how we connect with the characters and the stories, it's how we connect with other people because of those stories. So this is very, very relevant to what you'll hear uh, me and Janina talk about in a few minutes um, when we talk about the panel that we did. Um, these communities that build up around different shows that we like, uh, the feeling that you get when you are maybe outside and you see someone that has a t-shirt with a logo of something that you really like, that feels really good because you feel like there's someone out there in the world who really likes what you like. If you're able to join some sort of community where everybody shares the same thing, that feels, again, really good because you do not feel alone and you're able to talk about it. But I think there are other connections, too, that are even uh, deeper than that. Sometimes when um, family members can come together, they're having all sorts of issues. Uh, a couple might be fighting. They may, you know, just be going through a lot of stuff. But to be able to have this one thing that they can share hopefully more than one thing, but if you can have this one thing that really means a lot to both of you to be able to come together in that moment and share that either again with your partner, with your family, with your kids, it's, it feels really, really good. And the ability of these stories to connect us, right? We love these stories. We love what they're talking about. And to be able to share that with somebody is, is amazing. I recently wrote something for Father's Day, uh, 
kind of looking back at, at all of my geeky influences, uh, specifically, I looked at the, the influences from my father. I shared this one story that I hadn't thought about in a long time, but my father is a huge Superman fan. Actually, he, he loves superheroes in general, but Superman in particular um, seems to be his favorite. When the TV show Smallville came out, it was during a time um, after my parents had divorced, my dad had remarried, and my father and I, we were very close when I was little. Um, I was living with my mom now, and we had stopped talking. Uh, I became very angry with my father. I was a teenager. Some things happened. I didn't want to talk to my father anymore, and and I didn't. And the relationship with my father just went cold. So one day I'm watching the WB and I see a commercial for a TV show called Smallville. They didn't say what it was. It was just a cornfield and Smallville came up. And for the first time, I realized that there was going to be something Superman related um, on TV or movie or something. And I wasn't going to be able to share it with my father. And that that hurt a lot. I remember... I remember crying when I started thinking about it, that I couldn't share this with my father. So I called him um, a few days after just to tell him, hey, dad, there's a new TV show coming out and it's called Smallville. It's about it's about Superman. That actually helped my father and I start to talk again because well, I, I had no reason. I didn't want to talk to him, but I suddenly had a reason to want to talk to him. Now, Smallville was on the air for 10 years. And for most of those 10 years, my father and I spoke after every single episode. So the episode would air and we'd immediately call each other to talk about it. And if we'd missed the episode, we'd wait for the other one to watch it and then we would talk about it. Um, for 10 years um, of that show being on the air, we were able to do that because we, for the most part, lived in completely, lived in different places. And for a few years, we did overlap and we did live, um, near enough to be able to watch it together and it was something that really really brought us together it was something that we shared when i was very little and once i was older it was something that we continued to share and it's something that we share to this day um superheroes and things like that so i think that's just that's just an uh, an example of how of how powerful the stories that we love can be in in helping us connect not only with those fictional characters but with the people around us. Like Roger Ebert said at the beginning, the movies are a reflection of the world around us. Movies and I think stories in general, they kind of generate empathy. And I think they do that in more ways than most people think. So so stories can be very, very powerful. And that's all I have on how stories can be healing in general. So I have an interview with um, Janina Scarlet, which I did uh, actually... It was a couple months ago now, um, as of this recording, she submitted a panel to WonderCon in Anaheim, California. So this is WonderCon 2014. The panel was called The Psychology of Cult TV. I think it went very well. I enjoyed it a lot. Um, the audience was great. And you'll hear us talk about that. She does mention in the interview that she submitted it to San Diego Comic-Con. Since that interview, um, the panel did get accepted and she will be presenting it again at San Diego Comic-Con in July. Unfortunately, I can't be at San Diego Comic-Con this year, despite vowing never to miss it ever again in my life. Uh, but something really great came up. I'm going to be in Colombia, the country, Colombia. I'm going to be giving some presentations on comic books and mental health to a comic book crowd and also mental health journalists. There's one event that uh, where there's going to be some 
Carter Foundation scholarships being awarded. And it'll be a whole week of me talking about geek therapy in Spanish, which I've never actually done yet. And I'm really excited about that. It was something that I, I just couldn't turn down. So unfortunately, I won't be at San Diego Comic-Con this year. But Janina will be there, and she'll be joined by Travis Langley and Ali Matu, who's been on the show before, and Billy San Juan, who is fantastic. Uh, I know all of them. If what you hear us talk about in the interview coming up now um, sounds good to you and you're in San Diego Comic-Con, absolutely check it out. Um, also, there is video of the panel that we did at WonderCon, so I'm going to put that in the show notes. So if you want to check it out, so go to geektherapy.com. And look for episode 40, Stories Can Be Healing. And in the show notes, I'll have a link to the video of the presentation that we did in WonderCon. So thank you for listening. I'm going to queue up the interview with Janina now and then wrap it up there. But uh, So if you want more information about Geek Therapy or anything we've talked about, visit geektherapy.com or follow us on Twitter at Geek Therapy. I hope you enjoy the interview. With us today is Janina Scarlett. I wanted to talk to her about a panel that she was gracious enough to invite me to be on at this year's WonderCon. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. So Janina, welcome to the show. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you so much for having me back. Uh, So my name is Janina Scarlett. I am a licensed clinical psychologist, and I'm also a scientist. And I use superhero therapy and other modalities of geek culture to help patients with trauma and anxiety disorders. Um, so what was this panel that we were on at uh, WonderCon? <laughs> this was an amazing panel. And if I may say so myself, it was the best panel at WonderCon. Uh, this was, uh, it was about psychology of cult TV. Uh, the panel specifically was about the way that TV shows allow us to heal by forming connections with TV characters, by identifying ourselves in them, and also by forming communities with other fandoms. Yeah, and uh, when we talked about the the panel, when just discussing the idea, I really liked it when you said, you know, TV can be healing. That's the idea that I want to get across. And I love that. Yes, absolutely. TV can be healing. And um, I know from personal experiences how healing it can be. Um, for me personally, when um, I'm, I was born in Ukraine, uh, it's a you know, little country, uh, used to be a part of Soviet Union, and uh, there's it's been on the news quite a bit lately. Um, so when uh, my family and I immigrated from Ukraine to the United States, I was 12, uh, and I started seventh grade. I didn't speak a word of English. I didn't really have any friends or understand the culture. But I would come home and I would watch Family Matters and, and Full House as well. And it felt like they were my family and it felt like they were my friends. There were a couple of months of an adjustment period where I felt that I couldn't talk to anyone and that no one could understand me and that no one kind of wanted to listen to me. But I could turn on the TV and I could see what's going on with Urkel. I could see what's going on with little Michelle or DJ or Stephanie on Full House. And and I felt connected and I felt much less alone. And over time, the show taught me English. And I was able to communicate with other people, um, not only from having learned the language, but also from having something to talk about and being able to discuss these shows. So I have actually a very personal experience in how TV can be healing uh, from my childhood. And it's also something that I see in my clients, um, children and adults. 
So um, is that where the idea came from to kind of bring that to, to WonderCon to create it into a panel? What was your motivation? Um, well, I've been looking for some sort of way to communicate how TV shows have been healing. I wasn't quite sure how to do it. I've been looking for, to maybe write a post, uh, a blog post or something. And then I thought, well, I would love to get a room of people together that kind of like these shows and that are actually big fans of these shows that are a number of uh, members of fandoms. And I would love to be able to talk to them from kind of a psychological perspective and see what they think and get their opinions as well and sort of tell them um, sort of my experiences and, and uh, my colleagues' experiences about uh, the ability of incorporating TV shows in therapy and also uh, how it could potentially be healing even outside of therapy in our own personal lives. So what was the idea itself for the panel? So did you think, oh, I'm going to structure it like this? I want to <laughs> make sure that we would do this and that? Yeah, you know, the panel actually, um, I wasn't quite sure initially. I knew I wanted to talk about TV shows. As I'm, I'm a big fan of quite a number of them. And so I thought, well, you know, I'd like to kind of talk about these, uh, these big shows that a lot of us are into and, and um, talk to fans and kind of connect with fans uh, about, uh, let's say, Doctor Who and Sherlock and Buffy. Um, and initially, uh, we were just sort of going to talk about the different um, psychological aspects in these TV shows. And then it was actually in working with you that I realized that I wanted to focus more on the healing aspect. So thank you so much for helping me kind of clarify that and allowing me to sort of narrow it down and figure out more of what I wanted to do. It was really through your coaching and the conversations with you that I was able to do that. So thank you. Well, it's it's funny because uh, the idea of the psychology of cult TV wasn't like, oh, you know, we can talk about psychological themes. We can maybe teach some psychology through that. To me, wasn't I, I think it's interesting and fun, but I was like, oh, I don't want, I don't, I don't know if I want to be as involved or something like that. So yeah, when we started talking and I, and you you said that phrase, TV can be healing, and I guess that's kind of what I want to uh, show people. I was like, all right, that that yeah. that I like, that I want to talk about. That was the moment that I think we were both geeking out and we're both so excited and I think that's the moment we both knew exactly what we wanted to do and then when I sent the email to Travis and Elizabeth who were also on our panel they were thrilled about it yeah it's funny because on the on the we made a little flyer right for the and then I wrote tv can be healing huge up top and then in the middle it says the psychology of cult tv right right that was the bigger <laughs> that was message. deliberate that was the yeah, bigger was message deliberate. the yeah. bigger message yeah. was tv can be healing um I was working with uh, a teenage girl that um, I had a, a hard time kind of getting her to open up because she um, she's going through severe, severe uh, major depressive disorder um, right now, a major depressive episode. Um, and she was just really struggling. And uh, she started, uh, I asked her what TV shows she watches, if any, and she said she watches Veronica Mars. At that point, I hadn't seen any episodes. So I asked her to tell me a little bit about it. And then I went home. And within the week uh, before I saw her next, I watched an entire first season of Veronica Mars, which I really liked, actually. And then we were able to talk about who Veronica is, what, um, what my patient liked about her, and in what way she identifies with her. Um, I don't know if you saw the show. Did you ever watch it? Yep, yep. So, you know, it starts out with Veronica kind of being this outcast, right? Like nobody likes her and people are talking about her. And my client very often felt that people were treating her the same way, that she was sort of this outcast that no one liked. 
And uh, that was actually perpetuating her depression. And in identifying who Veronica was and what she stood for, we were actually able to make quite a big progress. So my patient was actually able to, uh, she's not a detective, um, and yet she's a superhero all on her own. She was able to start talking to other people about what depression is. Uh, Because no one really talks about it. You know, teens don't really talk about these things very much. And so she made a speech in her class about what she's been going through, about what resources are out there, and if anyone needs any help to come talk to her. And the outcome of that was phenomenal. People were crying. People were coming up to her afterwards. People were hugging her. She got a number of emails telling her, not only supporting her, but also people opening up and telling her that they're going through the same thing. And that was such a human experience right there. And that's a perfect example of how sharing something and connecting can be healing. And in that very aspect, connecting with a character in the TV show can be healing in a very similar way. Yeah, and we did touch on that in in the panel, right? How we connect with these characters. Um, Your example is fantastic, fantastic. using it in therapy, right? And we really didn't talk about that. I don't think we did during the panel, but I'm, I'm glad you brought it up now because how many times have we had that moment, right? Where it's like, well, what are you into? What do you like? Yeah. What are you a fan of? And a lot of our clients, no one's ever asked them that. Right. And it's right? now a part of my yeah. intake process. Yeah, me too. Nice. Yep. Very cool. And I, I want to see that on forms, you know, because a lot of times what we see on intake forms are the negative things. Not a lot of times are people asked about hobbies healthy behaviors and, you know, like movies they watch or books they read. And that can be a great way to start a conversation. How often have you been in like a staff meeting? And, you know, this is something that we as therapists do, right? We have these staff meetings and someone uh, brings up, uh, we have to discuss some of our cases. So Mm -hmm. we have to, you know, bring it up in front of a group, in front of our supervisors. And how often do you see does this happen, right? This is the, the normal thing. My client is this age, uh, comes from this type of family, mm-hmm. and has this diagnosis, this problem, this, that, that, and it's all negative, 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 negative. Yep. And at staff meetings, I used to, like, I would raise my hand and I'd say, okay, who is this client? Like, what do they like? What do they do on their free time? Right. What are their hobbies? And sometimes clinicians are like, uh, I don't know. I never asked them. Really? <laughs> so all you have is just a list of not complaints, right? Because they're not complaints. Maybe complaints from other people, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Like this is the complaint we got from the parents. This is the complaint we got from teachers or a parole officer, whoever it is that's involved in their lives. And then when we meet them, we kind of want to see, well, you know, just double check those things instead of finding not even just positive traits, but just who, what does this person like to do other than all these bad things that you're talking about? I love that you brought that up. Thank you so much for saying that. Absolutely. Because I, I love seeing the person behind the diagnosis. Uh, you know, because a lot of times we just say, oh, you know, here's another person with PTSD or anxiety, but there's so much more than that. Uh, here's a person that, you know, is maybe maybe married and has a couple of kids or um, maybe enjoys traveling or maybe geeks out on Doctor Who. And we need to know that. We need to know who this person is. What are they like? What, what don't they like? What are they afraid of? And that's going to help us understand them better than just kind of knowing their, let's say, abuse history, which is helpful too. But it's not enough. It doesn't paint the full picture. Yeah, we don't we don't need to know those things. But without it, therapy is completely different. And you're treating symptoms instead of a person. Absolutely. And 
it's a completely different experience. And like th- that Veronica Mars example is fantastic. And how many times have we had that with just anything? And it comes up casually. And I don't think the clients expect it. And and I don't necessarily expect that moment to come as, I don't know, as natural as it does. Right? Like, oh, like, you like to watch TV? Well, what TV shows do you uh, do you like to watch? Right. Oh, I like to watch Smallville. Really? And uh, if it's something that you know about, you kind of have an advantage. Uh, exactly. And if not, and if not, you did the, I don't recommend going out and watching a whole season, right? That's like the ideal, right? right. Like by next week, I will know everything about the show. And we sometimes we don't have the time, but just being open and like, tell me about it. Why do you like it? Or bring bring me a scene or tell me what your favorite episode is and I'll check it out. Exactly. And that means so much to our clients. Exactly. And I never make those kind of promises like, oh, I'm going to go home and watch it. I actually never promised that. But, you know, I, I actually found her descri- description interesting. And she said she appreciated it so much that I actually went home and watched an entire first season. And I intended to watch the, just the one episode, but it's such a good show. I wanted to keep going. Um, but yeah, with a lot of my clients, if I don't know something, like I just had somebody bring up Mad Men, that that's a show they really like. And I've never seen it. I've kind of heard about it. And so I did the exact same thing. I kind of asked the the client to tell me about it. And that's the thing that, you know, if we as therapists just kind of continue working with our clients and, and even if we are not experts and we don't have to be in what they like or what their culture is, we can ask. And, it, you know, for... Um, a lot of times for, for certifications, for licensing processes, we have to take multicultural classes. Unfortunately, um, things like the client's preferences and, you know, books, TV shows, those kind of, uh, you know, geeking out hobbies are not really included in that, uh, which I think it should be. But the message is very clear in those classes is that if you don't know about the client's culture, try to find out or ask them. And take a genuine interest in what the client is into. That's going to make you a lot more connected with them. And it's going to make them see that you hear them and understand them as a person, as a human being, not just as, you know, just another another name in the book. I have huge issues with multicultural um, counseling courses, which I won't get into now. But every <laughs> time I've, I've taken a course like that, I always talked about geek culture. Right. And more than once I had people say, oh, it's so great that you're going to talk about Greek culture. I don't really know anything about it. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You don't no. understand. That's not what I mean. And then I, you know, I sell them on the idea that, hey, people's interests and people's, uh, you know, if, when you go to that uh, definition of culture as a shared experiences and ideas and thoughts and beliefs and things like that, then absolutely. Right. This is a shared culture, and it's really easy to sell them on it um, once you start having the conversation. Right. And we need to be having more of those conversations. I'm hoping to um, start having more of these conversations. Uh, I'm hoping to kind of uh, – I've been talking to some of my colleagues about um, not yet doing a course because I don't think they're ready for that. Uh, but I'm hoping to do like a um, CE seminar in that uh, so that's something that's been uh, that I've been kind of asking about, and uh, it seems like people are interested. So yeah, and um, I've done them. I've uh, submitted um, presentations for conferences nice. on geek culture to nice. to therapists, and uh, you know, just do it, just apply it. Uh, you know, apply, submit some sort of training, and mm-hmm. cross your fingers, right? Uh, hopefully, when you get the chance, it's been amazing because uh, you're gonna address a whole bunch of stereotypes. Yep, and. Um, and it's, it's a lot of fun, too. <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah, and it's funny. Like, our panel, for example, was so mixed, right? 
Um, I, I clearly we didn't know everyone that was in the audience, but uh, I did know a number of people, and we had all different people. We had uh, fans. We had uh, people that are um, kind of in school. We, pe- we had people that are outside of school. We had mental health professionals. We had nerdy teacher was my favorite. Nerdy teacher, she was amazing. I loved her. Yeah, so we had teachers, we had doctors, we had students. And I loved that. I loved how how diverse the attendance was. Um, a note on Nerdy Teacher, um, and it's horrible. I, I like I didn't get to talk to her afterwards. I don't know what her name was, but uh, she was she was in the audience and she she raised her hand. I think twice, right? She she asked questions or, or made some comments yeah. regarding how she is a high school teacher and how she connects with all of her students because she's aware of what they're into and she shares some of their interests and that goes so 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 far that's so important and you know she got it and what we're talking about is applicable like we're therapists but uh it's applicable in anything parenting and education is i think you know where it's most important absolutely and it makes such a difference it makes such a difference if someone says hey what do you like and and then if they, you know, find out j- even just a little bit about it, even if they just go on Wikipedia and look up something about what you like and then come back and tell you, it means so much that you took that time to do that. And I'm hoping that more people in the mental health profession will start doing that. And I know for me, it's it's very personal. Like I see myself in every kid that I see that, you know, someone is just, they roll their eyes at them when they talk about what they like, whatever it is. And you know, that, again, that moment is great when they tell you something, you have no idea what it is. And you're like, whoa, 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 what is that? Tell me about it. Yeah. Instead of like, I have no idea what that is. Don't talk to me. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's it's interesting. Like I've had patients kind of come in, I guess, who don't know yet that I, you know, that I'm into a lot of these geeky things. And sort of when I start asking some of these questions, I've had people like when I say, what's your favorite book? They start kind of naming classics. And I'm like, okay, great. And I love these too. You know, a, a lot of these books. And then they'll kind of like put their eyes down and look all embarrassed and say, and I also like Harry Potter. And, and I've had that happen with a number of patients. And then I'll ask like, what what makes you so ashamed to say that Harry Potter is your favorite book? Well, it's not a classic. So it's interesting that there's this expectation. Yeah, it, is. It, it, is. it is a classic. Thank <laughs> you. It is a classic. But there's this expectation that like if it's not Tolstoy, then it's not worthy of being your favorite book. And that's such a, you know, that's bullshit. You know, if you like it, it, there's something about it that people identify with. So many people around the world. And and I, I want to take the stigma out of geek. And, of course, our, our, the panel focused on TV in particular. And TV comes up a lot also. Um, at least I think, do you, what is your opinion on this? Um, I know you're a, you're a big reader. Uh, I don't read as many books as, as I'd like to. But um, I'm definitely more of a TV and movie watcher. I think, do you find that people are more into, like, more fans of TV shows than they are of books or games or other things? That's a good question. Um, I'm seeing a wide a diversity of that. Uh, but I do see a lot of people that are kind of saying, you know, when I come home and I'm just so stressed out and I'm tired, all I need is to just watch something. And so at those moments, it seems like that TV shows can can serve this role of kind of unwinding and at the same time by following up what's happening with their favorite characters can also allow people to sort of reconnect and and refresh and kind of get their mind focused again. 
Um, now, as far as whether people watch TV more than they read books, that's not necessarily the trend I'm seeing with my patients, but I don't know what the trend is, you know, kind of worldwide. Um, but I do see that it is a commonly used method of kind of like, I'm just so tired or so stressed out. This is the one thing I need to get me through this, which almost seems like it's a medicine, you know, a much healthier medicine that people are taking to to get them through a difficult time. I mean, like the, the mass media is uh, video and TV. And I was just, you know, wondering what, what, it, what you were seeing with your clients. Because uh, it doesn't matter how popular Harry Potter the book was, once the movies came out, it became more popular. And that's especially what we see with uh, comic book superheroes. Not many people actually read comic books as, as much as people think. Um, and right. it's not until the movie comes out that those characters really, really become popular or have a TV show like like Arrow now. People, people know who the Green Arrow is. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And more people are reading it too. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure you know, it goes both ways. But definitely, yeah. you know, the, the character was not as popular as it was, you know, once he started showing up on Smallville and now has his own show. So cool. Yeah, I think they're more accessible. And I really liked what uh, what Travis Langley said on our panel that um, there's a, you know, this big criticism that movies or TV shows don't allow for imagination. But that's not true because mm-hmm. after we watch them, we spend, we you know, sometimes we might spend hours thinking about what we saw on TV, where those characters are going to go next, uh, and kind of planning uh, or or psychoanalyzing them. Uh, my husband and I love doing that. Well, uh, it's kind of a, a family thing that we do now together. It's one of the things we do to connect. We'll watch a show that we both really like, and then we'll purposely spend at least half an hour or more sort of discussing the episode, thinking about what, why certain things occurred, why certain characters acted a certain way, and sort of uh, kind of considering what might be the next step. And it's one of those ways that uh, families can connect. And we even had a person um, in the audience of our panel that said that his family connects over TV shows. And I thought that was lovely that he said that. Um, And so it seems like that's something that they have in common. He and his mom are able to discuss TV shows. Yeah, that came up a a couple of times um, from the audience. Yeah. Someone talked about um, everybody in a different room watching Sometimes even watching the same thing. Mm-hmm. And and I, one thing that, that I've had happen a lot is that I'll go visit family. And my father loves to watch movies and he wants to go to the movie theater. And even though it's something that he loves to do, I tell him, Dad, why don't we, why don't we just sit down and talk for a while or, or do something different? Because uh, when we're not close, what we do is we, we talk about movies and TV shows we watch uh, all the time. Right. But then those three hours, I don't, I don't want you to talk to me during those three hours. I'm watching that movie. I want to focus on it. I want to talk about it afterwards. And I think that, mo- that time afterwards is so great. And I know I've had clients who the reason why they have certain shows that are their favorites are not necessarily because they enjoy the show so much but because they're able to share it with other people. Absolutely. And, um, it, you know, it's interesting. Like, my mom and I, uh, for, for a while, you know, she would work a lot, and I was in graduate school, and there were a lot of times that we didn't have a lot of time to connect or talk to each other, and we'd come home exhausted. Um, and the one show that we would watch together was Everybody Loves Raymond. She loved that show, and her English is not very good, but it's the one show that she really related to or understood really well, and, and she she really liked it. And 
I didn't necessarily love it. I thought it was cute, but it was not a show that I would kind of watch on my own. But with her, it was so much fun. And just hearing her laugh just brought tears to my eyes because here was my mom who's so stressed out from her day, actually having a wonderful time. And then we could talk about it afterwards and we could talk about the characters and what they went through. And and I really looked forward to those moments. And even now, that's something that we kind of both look back on and we can still discuss those moments in the show. That's again, that's one of those things that in parenting can go so far. You can sit down and watch something with your kid and you don't have to, even if you don't like it, you don't have to just hate on it, you know, constantly. You can have a discussion about it. You can, you can mention what you liked or you didn't like, but you know, some parents are just like, oh, that stuff that you like is just stupid and I can't stand it. I never want to see it again. And, oh, and that's really yeah, that hurtful. doesn't feel good. No, it, it doesn't does not feel, feel good. It doesn't feel good at all because then it feels like something that is a part of you is not good somehow. And then sometimes that might generalize to mean, oh, that means I'm not good or I'm not liked or loved. And then, of course, our ego is going to suffer and we might potentially develop some anxiety or some depression about or or different view about who we are. Uh, and so it's very easy to kind of make someone feel bad about themselves by offending something that they're into. And I... I'm hoping that we're going to see more people kind of being sensitive towards something that they might not like or understand. Um, and I found um, I found myself for the last kind of, I guess, five years, uh, this is not, uh, I'm kind of ashamed by this. Uh, I was kind of critical toward Twilight because it's not something I enjoyed. Um, and I found myself kind of being snarky uh, about Twilight or toward Twilight fans and I'm realizing now how unfair that was and, and how for people that enjoy Twilight, that show, that movie and those books uh, probably meant something to them. And that's something that I'm actively trying to change now and certainly regret my past behavior about that. Yeah, that's one thing that during the panel, I the one thing I didn't like about our panel is that right off the bat, there was a question of, uh, you know, like, is it a waste of time? Like, is watching TV just a waste of time? And, you know, there was a response saying that, oh, you know, certain types of TV shows are absolutely a waste of time. They're horrible. I hate them. I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. I don't remember. It bothered me a lot. I don't actually remember what happened. And I will put a link to the uh, panel so people can, can watch it um, afterwards. But, uh, you know, because I felt like we were drawing a line right. in, in the panel. Like, yeah, some TV shows are great, but if you watch certain TV shows, then either this doesn't apply to you or you're not not cool enough you're not or i don't like you or that type of thing you know it could be interpreted in so many different ways which is why like that example that you just gave of twilight is whatever it is whatever you like why why do we have to draw those lines why exactly. do we have to you don't have to be nasty about it right exactly you just say, mm, i don't like it right and you and i even kind of talked about it for a while too about how you know geek culture is changing now right it's becoming a lot more acceptable and yet you know, we're still striving against, uh, we're, we're still fighting against the stigma. And we, uh, you know, we saw so many examples of people kind of getting bullied for liking comic books, for example, or liking certain things. And now we ourselves might potentially be becoming bullies. And I, I want to stop that. And I'm, I was noticing that, you know, in, in myself kind of criticizing people for 
liking Twilight, I guess I, I might have kind of acted like a bully. And I think in criticizing people who like reality shows like Kardashians, for example, we might come off as bullies, even though that's not the intention, of course. Um, but I think that um, in the only way that we can change the stigma is by practicing an attitude of absolute acceptance of whatever you like. That's what you like, so long as you're a good person. And, you know, whatever you need to watch or read to kind of get you through the day is fine. Um, and that's kind of the attitude that I want to see kind of more acceptance, more compassion, more common humanity, and and just kind of human connection. Now, it's natural that that happens, though, because we're used to being a minority. Yes. People don't like what we like. And we're in a location. We were in a room with hundreds of people where everybody liked the same thing. So it's really easy to pick on the who would be that minority. And that's in, in that moment, right? People who watch reality TV, for yep. example. Yeah. And now that was a huge assumption. But it also felt like, oh, I'm okay to say that here because everybody here probably thinks like I do. And that's also – that's very dangerous, but it's natural that that happens. The bigger uh, we become as a group, the we will start to splinter off. Right. And, um, and minorities that form within that group, like, oh, we're all TV, you know, TV geeks. Oh, well, we're big enough now that we can start picking on – the smaller groups and you know it, it happens and it's uh, right. it's good well, to be self-aware yes absolutely i was glad though that the majority of our panel minus you know that one comment that i don't think was meant maliciously i think it was just something that was meant as a joke to be fair i do think it wasn't said with any kind of ill will uh but i do think that the majority of our panel like at least the rest of our panel was so accepting and so encouraging um, about people's preferences. And, you know, even though our panel kind of described primarily cult TV, we ventured off into family matters and you talked about Full House. and Right off the bat, I'm like, yep, yeah. cult TV, Full House. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and I love that. I love that we can talk about anything and, and it's okay. And these are the things that we form those connections with and other people might have other connections, but we share that experience that for, for a lot of people in that room, we share that experience that some TV show made a difference. It doesn't have to be the same one, but some TV show made us feel more connected and, and maybe even allowed us to go through a, a really difficult time and maybe allowed us to feel a little bit better about it or allowed us to feel more understood. Again, TV can be healing. It isn't necessarily healing. Yes. It's always healing. It isn't healing for everybody. Right. But it can be. And all of us up there, we shared that experience. Yeah. So um, I, think, I think we've done really well on selling the idea of how TV can be healing, right? And given some examples. So the panel in general, how do you, how do you feel about it? How did it go? I loved it. I, I loved being able to be there with all of you guys. You guys are all amazing. And being able to not only geek out about things that I love, but also to be able to talk from a professional ex uh, experience and, and from, you know, from a psychological perspective about how TV, something that all four of us know and love, can be used in a therapy setting um, or even outside of therapy setting. And to me, it was just such a heartwarming experience. It was very different from any talk I've ever given. And it was probably my favorite. Uh, and to be surrounded by you guys, by the amazing audience members that were there, that were so supportive and so into it, it was just an amazing, amazing experience. 
So thank you for for being there and for for making it so special. No, and thank you for you know coming up with the idea, submitting it, and 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 inviting and inviting all of us to be on. Thank um, you. Are you are you planning on doing it again? Yes. Okay. Uh, yes. So the panel was submitted to San Diego Comic Con. Fingers crossed. <laughs> So we'll see how that goes. And if we get accepted, I would love, love, love to do it again. Um, and I definitely want to keep working with, with you and Travis and everyone in the future. And I just love being surrounded by other therapists that are starting to do or doing, have been doing, as you and Travis have, uh, something related to geek culture in a psychology setting or classroom for years. And we've also inspired a number of other people. There's There were some students in the audience, psychology students, that are now bringing that into their therapy sessions. And I just want to see more of that. I love that. So my one worry going in was uh, we're all therapists. How much could... Uh... How good could the panel really be as far as entertainment wise? <laughs> How do you think it went in the, in that in that sense? Um, you know, I'm biased. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think it went well. At least I'd like to think it went well. Uh, in watching it, uh, you know, I I get kind of self conscious. So in watching myself, I was kind of cringing a little bit. Uh, but in watching all the rest of you, I was like, yes, that's great. And uh, I got a lot of great feedback, too, from the people that attended. And a number of people told me that the just attending the panel was a very helpful experience to them. And someone used the word healing about our panel. Ooh, all right. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the guys who came in after, after us, um, they asked me how our, how our panel went. And my response was, well, they laughed at all my jokes. So, <laughs> so I, felt, I felt good about it. Yeah. Good, good. Yeah, yeah. I think I think it went well. I think it went very well, and I'm. I hope more people get to see it in the future. And like I said, I'm glad somebody recorded um, the video for this one, and I will definitely put a link. Yeah. So people can check it out if they're interested. Yeah. Thanks to Nerdlush for recording the video. Yep. So thank you so much, Gina, for talking to us about the panel. Thank you for having me on. And uh, if people want to contact you or, or learn more about you, where can they go? The best way to contact me is on Twitter. Uh, so it's at Shadow Quill. Quill like the feather, Q-U-I-L-L. Uh, that's really the best way to get in touch with me. And I also have a, a website, shadowquill.com. Very cool. All right, Gina, thank you. Thank you. The 